Uh, our goal here tonight is to give our listeners a taste, just a, the merest taste of uh, what it's like to play Dungeons and Dragons. Now, this won't be, you know, the exact same experience someone who's in a full-on campaign would do. And a camp by campaign, all we mean is uh, several players who get together on a fairly regular basis and play uh, kind of a continuing game. Uh, I will be in the role of Dungeon Master, which is not as kinky as it sounds. Uh, I'm just I'm just basically the referee and the storyteller. If you want to hear what a really super amazing Dungeons and Dragons game sounds like, listen to the Critical Role podcast. They are masterful. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Extemporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to market, he pontificates. Tonight's episode is, at long last, our Dungeons & Dragons episode. We are joined by a very special guest, Dave Conger, who is a long-term friend of Mark's, and in fact, they used to play Dungeons & Dragons together in high school. Dave is somewhat of a specialist on the subject. We are going to discuss the game, how it's played. We are going to talk a little bit about the satanic panic that surrounded the game in the 1980s, and we're actually playing the game as well. We're really grateful that you come back and support us each week. Thank you very much. Let me first of all say what my experience is, because I lied to you <laughs> when I said that oh. I never had any experience with D&D. Oh my god. No, Roll for true. deception. <laughs> okay. Also, also, I want to say up front, everyone, I have a cold, and so my voice sounds a little bit funny. Sorry about that. But um, anyway, I had a boyfriend in middle school who played D&D, and... Um, that's what initially attracted you, I'm sure. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> it, 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 I was invited. I was invited. Yeah. I was invited over to his house um, to hang out with his buddies who were playing. Oh, D&D. that's a great date. Mm, no, it was not a great date. And they wanted me to play, and I just didn't. I was like, no, you know, like this isn't for me. And so then I just hung out. His name was Dave. Dave. Ha- wow. His name was Dave. Yeah. <laughs> his name was Dave House, and he. Um, so they had me over and, and I watched them play D and D, which was not it's not exciting. Although they I did have they did have little like little pewter Figurines. characters, yeah. yeah. And so, but so, but they sat there. They didn't have a board or anything. They just had no. a little character sitting in front of them that they had hand painted themselves. Oh yeah, like that was a thing. That and, is and, a thing. They, and they were very proud of it. And I thought, what what am I doing here? What what is this? What you am are... I doing? Absorbing culture. Yeah, exactly. So that is my that was my only experience up until when we played the game together. Dave, tell us a little bit about your personal experience with Dungeons and Dragons. How you came to play it, and how old you were, and and you know, kind of give us fill us in on some of those details. Sure, I was um, probably fourteen, most likely tenth grade in high school, uh, and I I went to a uh, an after school. Uh, activity called chess and battle club and i was kind of interested in the chess i had no idea what the battle constituted uh, but it turns out uh, there were some some guys there playing what i learned was dungeons and dragons they were sitting around a table they had a bunch of pieces of paper uh, one guy had like this this cardboard uh, shield set up to hide his papers from everyone else and they had all these uh crazy looking dice they had the traditional six-sided die that i knew about but also all these other weird uh, platonic solid shapes 
And uh, yeah, they were playing Dungeons and Dragons and I kind of watched and I thought that was really interesting. And a week or two later, I came back and was able to join a game and just had no idea what I was doing. Uh, Just kind of learned as I went along. Yeah. Uh, And after that, it was kind of a blur. I don't remember exactly how I got seriously into it to the point where I was buying books and things. Uh, But uh, yeah, a bunch of my friends and I started playing after school after that. And did you, were you always just a player or did you ever dungeon master? Uh, I, I dungeon mastered on a few occasions. I enjoyed doing that. Um, when I was uh, supposed to be doing my homework, I would sit down with a graph paper and dry out dungeons and figure out how I was going to populate them. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And I think I was, uh, you know, for a high school student, I think I was a, a halfway decent dungeon master. I think I could tell a, a pretty good story. I started, I don't remember what inspired inspired me to get the game, but somehow I ended up with a Dungeons & Dragons, basic Dungeons & Dragons set. And then um, I had just moved back to the States from Germany, so I like had no friends, but I roped my family into playing because I at least understood it enough to know that I needed more than me. <laughs> so it was, not, it was not a so good solo game. So I roped my mother and my younger brother into playing. My mom really took to it. She's like, okay, I'm a cleric. My name is Ariadne. I'm going to need a faithful retainer, Rothgar, and he'll protect me. And then I also need a massive uh, Irish wolfhound or a mastiff or something named Grendel. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) She was actually better at it than you were. I guess you can do that. (laughs) Who am I to say? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm the dungeon master. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, uh, I don't know. There's a monster ahead. And my mom's like, okay. Uh, so Rothgar runs up and stabs it in the one of its eight eyes. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't just do that. Mom says, why not? Mark, I'm your mother. <laughs> so, and But everybody had a great time, right? Except for me, because it was a lot of stress. Um, and then I played with a few other kids... So, but it was enjoyable because, you know, the Dungeon Master would actually steal scenarios from books I hadn't read. So it seemed like he was just amazing. I'm like, wow, you are fucking creative, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, I am. And then I ended up playing with Dave and some of our other friends from high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a great, great time. So, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about, like, how do you build a character, where do they come from, that that kind of thing. And, and like, we, we've talked a little bit about players and Dungeon Master, so we know that the Dungeon Master is controlling everything. But t- tell us, how do you build how do you build a character? Yeah, you, you can put an awful lot of imagination to building your character, but it is somewhat constrained uh, at the outset. There are uh, a number of attributes that uh, you choose by rolling dice. Uh, things like strength, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, um, and uh, you get sort of a, a sort of a set uh, of numbers for those, and that determines your character to a certain extent. You can kind of move those around a little bit. You can swap the intelligence and the strength, or the charisma and the wisdom, things like that. Once you have those, uh, you pick a character class, which is usually going to be fighter or wizard or a cleric which is essentially a fighter that can cast spells, um, uh, or a thief. Um, I, I think that kind of owes, uh, goes back to uh, Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, being a thief. And there are kind of some more uh, obscure uh, uh, character classes. 
and you can pick a race. There are humans, but there are also elves, dwarves, uh, gnomes, kind of obscure. Don't see a lot of gnomes. Uh, half orc, half human, half elf. It, it gets a little bit esoteric there as well. And then uh, you can choose your alignment, or in fact, you are required to choose your alignment, which is evil or good on one axis and chaotic or lawful on the other. That's uh, that's always been a part of the game that I never quite liked, and it's it's been controversial over the years. It forces you into uh, making decisions a certain way that don't feel very human or very natural. Uh, for example, if you choose to be an evil character, you can't really cooperate too much with the other players, which is right. very you difficult to do in a collaborative game. Them. Right. I mean, if you if you don't go around stabbing your fellow players in the back. Uh, and you're an evil character, the dungeon master might actually start to uh, give you some grief about that and maybe throw yeah, some trouble your way. Because you're not doing some your damn job. Right, right. Um, I have come to join several political um, Facebook groups, and I've seen a couple of times people post things about alignment. Yeah, it's a it's a D and D meme. And so it's is that that's a that was an actual D and D thing. I, see, I thought it was like a philosophical thing. I thought, oh well, this this, this it feels philosophical though. It does, but it certainly is not. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, at a very shallow level. So, yeah. well, so is. that actually is has its roots in D and D. Correct. Learn something new every day. See. You do. Silric is a ranger. Um, uh, he's he's a, an, um, an outlander, uh, not really a city guy. I'll speak as Silric. My, uh, when I was about uh, 13 years of age, my parents were killed by orcs in a raid, uh, and I uh, just essentially began wandering and learning out in the countryside on my own. Uh, I apprenticed myself to a few uh, various professions. I was a blacksmith for a very short period of time. Uh, I wandered around for the longest time with a druid, um, and I've had many encounters with orcs, some of them peaceful, most of them not so much. D&D obviously has its historical roots. I, I mean, um, we should talk maybe a little bit about that. Um, like mid-70s, well, kind of early to mid-70s was the, the foundation of it. Yeah, the, the creators are, are uh, generally, uh, or the, the credit is generally given to Gary Gygax, and Dave Arneson, um, and they—I I forget the exact uh, exact sequence—but I think maybe they founded or were members of something called uh, TSR. TSR stands for Tactical Studies Rules, and so you're right, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, and they—they they actually it was in um, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I am originally right. from Wisconsin. There you go. So it has a connection to my hometown. So. Is Dave Arneson the Ronald Wayne who was one of the co-founders of Apple that just kind of disappeared? Because everybody just talk about E. Gary Gygax. Nobody ever talks about Arneson. No, he was the uh, he was the Jack Kirby of. D&D. Oh, is that what? Yeah. Okay, right. yeah. <laughs> well, he, interestingly, uh, he, enough credit. he uh, ended up suing them. Uh, later on, this is one of the one of the issues, and we'll get to some of the issues that that Dungeons and Dragons faced in, in just a moment. But he um, he sued them because he was not getting what he felt were the royalties that he deserved, and in the end, they they found in his favor. And he, but he he le- he did leave TSR, um, and then once he left TSR, in order to cut him out of getting royalties, uh, Gary Gygax wrote a new version of. Dungeons and Dragons, right. 
and he um, he tried to cut him out and say, well, he didn't have anything to do with this, this therefore one. he doesn't have any rights to royalties. The first one was Dungeon and Dragon. This one is plural on both of them, so it's <laughs> super different. Can you can you give me a little bit of the rundown on the beat? Yes. Of why, <laughs> yes. why it yeah. wasn't? So, so my song is like... Ding, did a ding, did a ding, ding. But Bowie's was like, ding, did a ding, did a ding, ding. So they're so different. Okay, Vanilla. Okay. They started it, and then uh, you know it was it was a, a fairly successful, in particular with my understanding is with like college students, also kids. But like it became very very popular, and generally the kids who played it, it relies so heavily on. Um, Imagination and under you know and 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 Dave, you brought up a really good point, sort of, um, and and Mark as well, to, looking to certain fantasy literature to find inspiration for building building the dungeon world and and building your character, um, and so it required a certain amount of intelligence. So it really became uh, the the you know the the trope is that it was really just a, a game for. Kind of dorky guys uh, who guilty as charged. We were nerds. We didn't call ourselves that at the time. Yeah, we didn't. We there was no real nerd chic back then. Oh no, no, very definitely. So not. while we may have been nerds, we did not claim the title. It began as a cult phenomenon, then it caught on. Now a new game is sweeping the country. You will burn forever and ever in eternal torment. You are no more. The role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons debuted in 1974. It became a hit with many adolescents, but critics claimed it was an invitation to devil worship. The witchcraft, the demonism, the spells. And worse. It is not fun and games. The media set off a satanic panic. A lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders. One of the things that really comes out about Dungeons and Dragons, particularly in the 80s, is this idea that it is in some way subversive or dangerous. Fuck yeah. And um, so it has that kind of mystique, I guess, as well. Um, Dave, you know quite a bit about that. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the stuff that was going on around the Did you the just satanic? intuit it? Well, Dave would know a lot about that. <laughs> I happen to know that Absolutely, from previous yeah. history. <laughs> Dave and I are very we have a, we're like this. It's kind of simpatico. <laughs> kind of simpatico when it comes to uh, moral panic. Which exactly. Is, moral which panic. Which is what this was. It was a moral right. panic. It, it was, really uh, was. And the '80s was famous for for many different kinds of moral panics, but largely revolving around. The Prince of Darkness, Satan. Sure, absolutely. Oh, yeah, in the 80s, yeah. It was all mm-hmm. about the Satan worship. And, uh, yeah, so there were people who believed that uh, D&D players were were uh, being drawn into Satan worship or that they were consorting with demons or that they were actually learning to cast actual magic spells and not just pretending. Uh, that would have been nice, but absolutely yeah. not. Although and, uh, a fireball spell in the hand of someone who doesn't think about blast radius and stuff true. could have been yeah. a problem. It's probably just just as well that a 14-year-old couldn't cast couldn't some of those that. spells. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were also a, a couple of cases where people playing D&D uh, or who were in some way linked to D&D committed suicide and uh, people jumped on that and said, ah, they were driven to suicide by this dark demonic game. And not the... Th- Cure album they've had on repeat for four weeks. Well, that yes. Tipper Gore did get to oh, that eventually. Got towards, to that. that was a later moral panic. That was right. a little bit. Part, I right. mean, it was still, it was still a moral panic, and it was still. That was basically was, the next one. 
That yeah. was the next one, right? Um, so let's let's dig into that just a little bit because um, on the one hand, so you're t- in particular Patricia Pulling and her her son who is called Irving. Um, her son killed himself uh, after playing, as it turns out. Nine about nine hours worth of Dungeons and Dragons, but like straight, no, <laughs> no, total in his lifetime, yeah. which is really well, nothing. That's like which two is sessions very. Or I mean, sessions. we pay, we played two hours worth of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that's nothing. My God, I'm seven hours away from it's like all over no, for me. You're, you know? <laughs> like, well, we're stopping you here, so <laughs> you're safe. I'm safe, but um, but so so there's a couple of things that I want to get to. One is is the fact that Patricia pulling in in response in response to her son killing himself and in her grief, she developed a, a parental society with yeah. a, with an acronym <laughs> bothered by what is it bothered, bothered by about. Dutch- Bothered about but bad. That's right, yeah, because bad. this was you know this was the time of dare. Which I, by the way, I think that was named mad. named by Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh bother. <laughs> so she is bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, and she's, yes, Piglet, we are. So she started this. She started this uh, this uh, well group, but I think she was really the only one driving one. it. It was a group of one, yeah, right? <laughs> but she had a lot of support from the evangelical. Of course. Christians. They're like, we have an other? We love others. Um, she she gained support from the evangelical community, community who was at the same time very concerned about it. And we, we uh, there were some tracts that had been co- comic tracts. Oh, yeah. The Chick tracts. Yep. Jack Chick is a cartoonist and publisher of Christian religious tract comic books, which have been distributed globally in hundreds of languages and are possibly the most widely distributed and published comics of all time. He uses these to try to convert the unsaved into Christians, so that when they die, they don't have to go to the horrible hell, which he repeatedly draws gleefully in his own books. They were the most, like, clumsy, unsubtle, you know, kind of satanic panic type thing. So he would draw these cartoons like, Mary's been playing Dungeons and Dragons, and now she's casting real spells. I'm like, <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> what a wager on that! And, and you know, she'll be licking his bu- licking his backside by the end of the week. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no doubt. An unholy alliance that revolves around some kind of sexual activity, because you know, sex also very dangerous oh, and very yes. bad. Well, right, that's true. And the irony there is that I, the people that I knew that were playing D&D weren't doing any of that. There was no, yeah. it, it's not only not from a lack of desire, but birth control, but it can restore your virginity. <laughs> so, um, so they, so she, she, in her grief, because her son did kill himself, she, she started this organization, and they did some lobbying, and um, it actually got some airplay on on a, a particular episode of sixty Minutes, yeah. and I've watched that episode. <laughs> And, balls. and it was and 60 Minutes really gave it oxygen. Yeah. There are those who are fearful that the game in the hands of vulnerable kids could do harm. And there is evidence that seems to support that view. Timothy Grice, 21, shotgun suicide. The detective report noted D&D became a reality. Irving Bink Pulling, 16, an avid D&D player, a suicide. Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12, a murder and a suicide. 
The police said they were obsessed with the game. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, charged with killing his junior high school principal and wounding three other people. Police are blaming D&D. Jeffrey Jaklovich, 14. Stephen Loyacano, 16. Michael Dempsey, 17. And the list goes on. The idea that they were, that in some way Dungeons and Dragons wasn't like either responsible or tangentially responsible for these kids who were either committing suicide or, or committing murders. Yes. Um, but of course, that's absurd because all, yeah. you know, there, certainly there were defense attorneys who used it as an excuse. But yeah. I mean, if you're a defense attorney, you're going to use anything as an excuse. That's right. And in the age of moral panic. You drank panic, too much Pepsi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the age of moral panic. Well, that's like the Twinkie defense. That's what it is. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like you've had too much sugar. Yeah. And, you're, you know, so you're hyped up on a bunch of sugar. And so then you go and you shoot someone. That's right. Well, that's nuts. But anyway. Um, Possibly a crack cocaine. But, you know, <laughs> the Twinkies were what pushed me over the edge. Right, right. So um, she is uh, she was responsible for just kind of driving that narrative. And uh, and media, of course, media loves the idea of a moral panic. And media was getting um, getting behind that, and, and and you know, and sixty minutes is very well respected. Yeah, but it was always a bit <laughs> sensationalistic, right? I mean, they had some good investigative journalism, and then sometimes they would just go for the lowest common denominator, right? And just like you know, and be Nancy Grace. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, Nancy Grace would definitely who should die. She definitely would have a home. Is she on, still alive? Yes, she is. Well, I wish she wasn't. No, God, Mark, don't say things. Sing, don't say things like that. Why was she gonna? You know, it's if the, Nancy it's the, Grace coming after us would might. be the greatest thing to ever happen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> please, 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 please sue us. Yeah, please, Nancy. Grace. Nancy Grace, <laughs> I hope you die. No, Mark, yes. I'm editing that. You know, out. You know really Mark's do. defense for saying that is though he's played D and D. That's right. You play, I played oh, some Dungeons and Dragons. I'm all hopped up on dice. <laughs> <laughs> and my imagination. That's right. So uh, the setting is between the uh, city of Silvery Moon, which is an elven stronghold, and the uh, outpost of Sunderbar, the small city of Sunderbar. You're going through uh, a mountainous terrain uh, with uh, forest on uh, either side, and it's uh, early winter, so it's not you know sloppy with snow, but it's definitely cold as fuck. And there are patches of you know snow clinging to the rocks because you're you're at an elevation of a couple thousand feet, and you're on a uh, rocky path. It's probably the least pleasant part of this journey, and that's really saying something because earlier in your journey, uh, you lost three carts in your caravan to uh, part of the path breaking away, and they just slid off the mountain, never to be seen again. So we're a little low on food, and we are cranky. Let's just say that. You two do not know each other, but you at least know each other's names because you've been uh, riding in this caravan in the same wagon for a number of days. Uh, So you're at least passing familiar uh, so far. Your wagon driver is named Basil. He is not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's affable and uh, seems to have a fairly good way with the horses. Unfortunately for you, he's also very much of a chatterbox. So he is constantly asking you about uh, yourselves because, I mean, he doesn't meet a ranger or an elf very often. 
As we pick up our story, it is uh, late afternoon, and uh, you're clattering down this kind of, it's a, it's a fairly wide avenue, you know, it's a good 25, 30 feet wide, um, but there are, of course, rocks uh, and cracks everywhere. So uh, Basil's doing his best to uh, avoid those. He, uh, as we're clattering down, he's, uh, you guys doing all right back there? It's a bit bumpy, isn't it? So to your left, we're at a sort of a narrow spot in the road. So to your left is just, you know, rocky surface, some scrub brush, uh, bits of snow hanging onto some ledges. And to your right, it's about 10 feet of road and then empty space. So this is, you know, it's a little hairy. Uh, If you have a fear of heights, don't look down. And uh, you see there are a number of guards uh, stationed ahead trying to direct the wagons away from some of the sketchier parts of the path. Uh, As you come around a bend, Basil begins to, of course, chatter again. He said, well, that was not that bad. I mean, you know, we got through it, didn't we? And then... He chokes, coughs, and an arrow sprouts from the side of his throat. So he he topples over. You hear screams up ahead. Basil falls with the reins for the horses still in his hand, and the horses bolt. Also part of the moral panic was another guy who had committed suicide, and I think his name was Dallas... Uh, James, James Dallas Egbert. Holy there shit, go. Dan. There we who, go. Yeah, I just, and I just know that. I'm not looking it up on the I internet. I believe uh, you. Wow, I'm, pr- I'm student, impressed. I will never doubt at, uh, you again. Student at Michigan State University. And Was he, he the guy uh, who died in the steam tunnels no, or something? No, they thought he went into the steam tunnels. They, so, like, there's some steam tunnels under there, and students would play in them, and he kind of disappeared down one of those tunnels one day and then reappeared the next day, uh... And he, apparently he went to a gaming con that was that was in town. And I guess, you know, part of part of what was going on at this convention was uh, was D&D, maybe some other games. And then I think it was months later, he committed suicide. And somehow they drew the connection that his briefly appearing at a con that had D&D added led him to almost correlation spiral equals causation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then um, the truth about that, though, was that he was actually an exceptionally bright young man who had he went to college at like age 15 or 16 and had a plethora of of issues that were not related to Dungeons and Dragons. And that was the same thing with the um, with um, Irving pulling that he had other issues and depression issues that actually contributed to his suicide. And it wasn't, you know, possession by the devil or anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons, really. Um, but out of the the case that you're talking about at Michigan State, they made a famous they made a famous movie. Well, not a fa- I mean, not, I guess not a famous movie. <laughs> I would but say a, maybe infamous. Yeah. <laughs> infamous in an infamous movie uh, starring Tom Hanks, um, ma- Mazes and Monsters, right? Right. Like Mazes and Monsters. You mean the game? Yes, Robbie was getting peculiar. It was, uh, it was like the the game was becoming his whole life, and and sometimes he was more interested in it than me. One of the players Robbie played with got carried away and killed him. That's kind of far out. Mazes and Monsters is a far out game. Well, tell us about that, Dave. Yeah, uh, Dave. I don't, so I've never seen it. I don't know a whole oh, lot about it. Oh, you haven't seen I, it? No, don't let I, that I, stop you. I, I believe don't it was, watch uh, half the shit we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was a high-quality made-for-TV movie, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. I don't I'm think sure. it was a theatrical release. Right. Uh, and, yeah, it, it, uh, 
it presented this sort of thinly veiled fictionalized version of D&D called Monsters and Mazes and it had these these kids running around in costume playing this game which is you know pretty much unlike D&D it's That's LARPing. That's well, LARPing. It's legitimately weird. It's not impossible. Thing. It's not impossible to put on a costume and play right. D&D and I mean, people may Christina's enjoy doing that. I mean Christina's sitting here in elf ears. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But it's Well, uh, I took them off to put them my, my my headphones oh, on. Wow. It's not necessarily something you would do. It was certainly not something that I saw a lot of in the 1980s or or actually any of in the 1980s. Mhm. That's actually a thing now, though. Um, Mark mentioned LARPing, and I I was watching, as a part of my research for this, uh, I was watching a couple of documentaries about D&D and adults who play. And uh, there's a whole group of them that actually do... Not just for cons, but they when they play the game, they go out and hit yeah. each other with foam swords. And so they, that's LARP, yeah. live action role play. Right. I've spoken with Mother about it. That's expected. LARP stands for uh, live action role playing. LARPing is pretty much D&D. The stats are close to the same. The spells are close to the same. You have this, pretty much have the same kind of weapons. They have these little tiny packets filled with birdseed, and you throw them, and it acts like you're casting a spell. It's live action D&D. By the way, we should say that this game is, at its root, what they call a role-playing game, which means it's not just rolling dice or moving your piece around the board. You are in, you are supposed to be that character. You act out scenes with other characters. You do dialogue. You, you basically have to act like this character in this imaginary world. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, one of the barriers to entry, right? Because people are like, fuck, I'm not doing that. That'll make me a fucking dork. When you played cops and robbers when you were kids, you were LARPing. When you were playing dress up with your mom's clothes, you were LARPing. Feel free to continue your disrespect in public. No problem. I'll see you on the battlefield. Nine. Watch your back. Always do. But it's it's well, one it's, of the hardest things little, for new characters, right? It's it's intimidating. It's a little it's a little uncomfortable at first if you don't because here again, it relies upon your imagination. Yeah. Number one, to be able to really to imagine what's going on in the in the in the game because there's no video game. It's not like you're sitting and watching a screen Correct. and you see things happening. You, the dungeon master is just telling you this. He's describing, he's telling scene. you a story. Essentially, now, there are dungeon masters who are better dungeon masters than me, <laughs> and will have like some visual aids, right? They've like constructed some paper mache mountain or something, <laughs> and, and and like you can actually move your little token around or your little character, your figurine. Um, but you know, mostly. The dungeon master describes what you see, mm-hmm. and you draw it on a piece of graph paper so that you and your friends can kind of keep track of what the fuck is going on. Right. In the very first time that we recorded this episode, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> several months ago, no, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, the very first time that we did it and we didn't end up somehow, my, my track didn't get recorded, 
Dave did so th- that was legit my first time ever really playing. Right. Um, and Dave told about his character in his character. And, yeah. I, and I did not know that we were supposed to do that. I had nothing <laughs> that prepared. That was my fault. I had nothing prepared for that. So I, I sat know. there and I'm like, oh, dang, uh, I don't know what to say. And I was too I was too shy to yeah. kind of do it on the fly. Because like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, well, you Chauffeur's know. Chauffeur's like, an You know that chick from the the whatever movies with the, the Frodo and, and then that one yeah. that was by whatever. <laughs> and I was like, that's the that's kind that's of me. what I want to be. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> and then, you know, and I'm I mean, like, that's legit. Okay, but what I could, what I would have done, because because I do have that creative side to me, is if yes. I had known, I would have actually... I know, it's all my fault. No, yes, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not. But I would have created that. H- however, if you are not inclined that way, it would be get the fuck out of my game. No, it would be tough. It would be tough to do that. It is. It is now, tough. Yeah. Now, well, now, I invented a little backstory for Silric and talked about you know his parents had been killed by an orc raiding party and things like that. But that's uh, th- that's not uh, that's not really a requirement of the game. That's more it's, like something. Yeah, but it I, was cool. Though. Uh, yeah, I thought it was cool. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, like yeah. a very now. now I thought as it had I, a little bit of flavor and it, it helped did. me to just sort of distinguish Silric I, from myself. Exactly. So I will say. One of the guys I played with early on taught me that the most important thing about Dungeons & Dragons is not memorizing the spells or the rules or making sure to look for traps. you got to make your character as cool as possible. Uh You just, like, imagine how cool you want your character to be and try to get there. So do you think that that's, I mean... Oh, like, you want me to psycho- psychoanalyze? Yeah, because yeah, I think that that says something it's about It's escapism, yeah. it's yeah. projection, it's probably schizophrenia. No. <laughs> no, but, okay, but but see, all of these things as some, and, and here again, right, like, you have to be a very certain kind of person to be able to get into it and appreciate. Nerd! No, but creative. No, you do. And bright. And like, if you don't like playing charades, mm-hmm. right? Or or acting like yeah. I would I would think I wonder if there are a number of kids who who would who played D anD D who would oh. also have been a part of the drama well, club or whatever. There are actually podcasts of people who just record their D anD D games, but they are fucking amazing. Like your like my little dungeon that I did with you guys is an embarrassment compared to what they put together, and they're so good that. Their stuff gets published by TSR, mm-hmm. so you can play their adventures. Um, I think it just—I think it speaks to the level of creativity that that really has to be at play. And if you are not like like Mark said, if you are not comfortable being in charades or whatever, you won't enjoy. You it won't as much. enjoy it as much. But honestly, I can say as somebody who was a newbie to it. I enjoyed it. Now, you can get sucked in. I right? did. I really did, and it, it caught it, it. It takes some, you know, some some um, um, collaboration with with the people that you're playing with. So, like Dave and I were the ones going on the adventure, yeah. and and our characters collaborated. Yeah. You guys were like cooperating. It's like you know fighting back to back and whatever. Yeah. Well, and at one point I cast a spell to help him, and yeah. then he was there to help me, and and so it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. Can I get both of you to roll a twenty sided die? The classic way to do this is that you would actually have a polyhedral die, and you yeah, would roll it. Yeah, you would have an actual but, die that you uh, just roll. Yes, so this yes. is... Uh, oh, we're not doing that, listeners. This is 2021, <laughs> and I have an app we're on using my phone. 
Yeah. And I have rolled a 16. Oh. Okay. And uh, Shofra? I rolled a 4. Okay. So, from an initiative standpoint, that is who acts first, Dave is first, then the gelatinous cube, <laughs> then Shofra. But I need you both to roll one additional 20-sided die. Right now? Yes. Okay. What do you got? I got a 12. 18. Okay. What'd you get, Dave? 12. Or Shofra, you have looked at the situation and you are almost entirely certain that you cannot defeat a gelatinous cube. Mm-hmm. Okay? You have judged that this is beyond you. Okay. That this cube will fuck you up. Okay. All right? So you have a choice of what to do, but Dave gets first action. The slime cube can take me out? Oh, Oh, yeah. Holy oh, it can take us both out. <laughs> so just so you can picture it, this cube encompasses almost the entire width and height of the hallway. Okay, right? but we've got injured skeletons out the back, out the door. You do. You have something at your back, and you have something coming from the left. Okay. You can go any direction you want. What Silric, would you say? Silric, my God, I can't handle this. <laughs> Silric, I think we're both going to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Silric, it is your turn to act. Okay. I, I strongly agree. I'm going to, like, uh, maybe put a hand on Shofra's shoulder to, to point her in the same direction that I'm going, and we're going to head to the right. Okay. So, and, you, and I'm hoping, are you... Are you strolling? Hoping desperately. No. I'm, we're going to sprint oh, toward sprint. that door okay. and really hope it's not locked, because then we're right. in a bad, bad place. All right. Now... And this is my start to get a little monotonous. Roll a die 20. Shofra, you and Silric both perceive this at about the same time. In front of the door at the end of the hallway you're running down, there is a irregular rectangle of stone about the same shape and appearance as the trap block that you, you stepped on. I choose to not step on that. Okay. You get when you get to the door, it is locked. Chofro, the uh, slime has now uh, entered the the uh, intersection where you were originally standing, and you judge by the next turn he'll probably be there, and you will be forced to find some way around him or kill him or something. Silver, what should we do? I mean, I let's have go my ahead and step on. on the thing I didn't want to step on. <laughs> you step on the thing you didn't want to step on. Yes. Grinding sound, door swings open. Woo! Okay, so we were talking about the creativity aspect of it. Um, and I, so, so that is, that is, that is a real thing. And so, the, and that goes back to these, these young men who unfortunately killed themselves. Um, very bright, very, uh, uh, evidently had some interest in the creative side of things, but right. then, but then you know to bring to bring it back to to the moral panic side, you have then mothers in their grief who are looking for a reason. Right. They don't want that reason to be well. We had kind of a screwed up family life. Yeah. I you know somehow something slipped through the cracks. So so let's talk though a little bit about that and maybe maybe get into into that a little bit with the 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 fact that you have. People who are adult human beings. <laughs> I feel an insult coming. 
because then I'm rubbing my face about this because I I just I I can't. By the way, I'd like to point out you are an adult human being and you've played this game. No, Go ahead. no, 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 no. I'm I'm talking now about the the people who are oh the panic people legit concerned. Oh yeah, that there is actual be, Satan. That there's going to be some kind of that they're going to be able to actually cast spells. Right. Well, first of all. Ninety-five percent of the people do not think you can actually cast spells. But unlike days of yore, when people had a legit fear of the devil showing up and fucking them up, it's harder now, right? So if they, but religion thrives in opposition to the forces of evil, mm-hmm. even though they are often are the forces of evil, but they don't see it that way. Um, so when they see something that they can conjure up this satanic panic over, they're like, dude, this is mother's milk to us. We're going to make bank on this, right? So well, we get like, a lot of traction with yeah, their audience. Of course. I mean, I don't think that they were necessarily, I mean, you're saying, you're saying make bank. You're not really speaking... Oh, no, I definitely am. Keep in mind, the 80s was the rise of evangelical... Well, that's true. ...televangelists. Yeah, that's true. So I 100% mean make bank. And, I mean, I'm not excusing, you know, the larger churches either, because if they can get people... If they can get butts in the pews, that is income. Yeah, that's not true. So uh, I think they saw this as as an opportunity to have another that they could rail against, I think only the stupidest 5% really thought there was any danger of summoning Satan. And um, and the rest were just being opportunistic. Uh, I, I would point out that uh, there's a, a, a professor of religious studies at Texas State named Joseph Laycock who wrote a whole book about, about this called uh, Dangerous Games, I think it was. Uh, and he said that that one of the reasons that Christians are opposed to D and D, well, well, one reason is because it teaches critical thinking. Apparently, some Christians are not into that. <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem for them. Uh, but another reason is that in some ways, D and D and things like that compete with religion. Uh, you've got this. Uh, you sort of you're creating this world in your mind and you're thinking about it and you're kind of you're moving yourself in and out of it and it transforms you in some way as you do so. And that's a bit like religion in some ways. So Plus, they're like, hey, we the have the monopoly on disaffected, aimless youths. Why, why are you guys stealing our core, you know, our core audience? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Laycock because I, I listened to a podcast that he was on and I've read he's, – he's, a, a, he's quite active on his blog – and I, I read his book in preparation for this um, episode. And <clears throat> what one of the anecdotes he shared, it was actually on the podcast, um, he shared an anecdote where a, a kid who was kind of bullying him. When I was um, in my kind of Stranger Things days, right, talking with the other, um, you know, late bloomer kids in, the, in, the, in middle school, and we were talking about D&D, and this older kid comes up to us and says, um, you guys worship gods from books. That is so sad, right? And then we proceed to get into this debate, but it's pretty obvious that if we win the debate, we're getting a wedgie, you know, or, or worse, right? So it, was, so it was a long time before I actually was able to articulate what was so ironic about him telling us you worship gods from books. 
And I thought, well, <laughs> and he, he, of course... Are was, there any other kind? He, he was quick to, to point now, you know, in retrospect, to, to, to point out the irony in that. You believe in gods from scroll fragments. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is way better. Yeah, at least I have like 30 pages on my god. Right. What do you got? Uh, yeah, so... I have uh, like four square inches of parchment. Well, I mean, and you know... <laughs> Well, the older, the the years of tradition, right. blah blah blah. Right. But but right. um, but but there the, there is there is that you know I mean there there is that that sort of ironic um, projection and uh, just I guess inherent fear yeah. that that happens it, it, that there's some kind of competition that this could somehow how could it be at once because if you are if you are communing with the devil and at risk right. of being you know involved with the devil in some way then you must also be then that's within the the Christian right you should say see you I mean you should be like yo yeah you're working within our framework yes you're on the other side mm-hmm. but you're validating our belief system right. so Cool, bro. So good, good. You know, yes, but we have to save you, and you've oh, yeah, brought, yeah, you yeah. have to be brought over and to the. We right might side. have to kill you, but you know, <laughs> but you we know, have to kill thanks you to save you. Um, but at least you'll die as a as a yeah as a devil worshiper and go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real redemption there, I don't think. <laughs> so, so you know, the moral panic, any moral panic that happens, happens in like. It's with the uh, with the music, satanic panic. It's like kids are enjoying this. It's it's not in our control. It appears to be antithetical to what we're preaching. Let's freak out. Dungeons and Dragons. That is definitely not under our control. We control things like uh, playing with a hoop and a stick. That's fine. <laughs> or maybe. Bouncing a ball rhythmically on camisots, mm-hmm. you know, they're, that's, we're comfortable with that, you know. But these things seem a little wild, and they're definitely not rooted in Judeo-Christian ethic, so we're kind freaking of, out. But also, Well, there's that novelty of. aspect, though, too, right? Right. It's something new. Speak, speak a little bit more to that, Dave. Well, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think the people who were freaking out over comic books grew up reading comic books because that was a relatively new art form, and the people who were freaking out over D and D did not play D and D, nor did they know anyone who played D and D in childhood because that was new. Um, when they, the people who freaked out over uh, Harry Potter, and again thought that maybe they were actually going to cast real spells and, and consort with the devil in some way, didn't grow up reading Harry Potter. So there's um, there's a lack of familiarity with the things that that people go into a moral panic over. Yeah, I think. and every generation uh, accuses the music of the current generation of being, you know, um, you know, just uh, wild and, yeah, and, and, and 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 subversive. And Elvis and subversive. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's- no, that's that's absolutely true. And um, I'm like you guys with your Lindy Hop, your <laughs> you know your lewd, your lascivious. Mm-hmm. Well, right, you're showing your ankles. When you well, know. that's true. You know when when mores start to change that, and look at us now. <sighs> okay, so look at us. Look at us now. So no, let's. So this is a little bit off track from from Dungeons. We're and all doing weed and being transgender <laughs> well but no so so let's talk about um recently in the news i've been seeing a lot more about um republican people feeling 
as if they're being discriminated against for oh, their right. political views, right? The world is changing, and and it, they they feel that way. It, you can argue for or against that, but I can I can understand if I'm being empathetic. I can understand why they feel that way because the world is changing, and it's this sort of uh, this existential situation for them. Do you want them. me to tell you why they feel that <laughs> don't, way? Don't I, I don't want to get into white nationalism, <laughs> but, but 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 no. I and that is I mean that, that's not that's not totally wrong. I mean right. that's a part. That's definitely a part yeah. of it. But but mores are changing. The country is shifting towards a more right. progressive, not as progressive as some would like us to be. I think sure. it's, it's moving too slowly for many, many people. But the, Always the, the case. But the country is moving that way. And that is just the way that the, the that's, just, that's just the progression, yeah. right? There's, there's things that happen. and, and Some people becoming. hold hearings. Other people crucify thousands of people along a road, you know? And and so so what happens now is there's this shift in what people believe is moral and okay and yep. what we should be doing and you know who we should be accepting of and all of that um, and that uh, that sort of Mark I, I I kind of agree with what you're saying the sort of that loss of that feeling of control as yep. things shift it feels really change bad scary yeah. And if you can point at something and say this is the problem, and it's a game played right. largely by teenagers, and, and they have and, no organized defense, and they have no right. organized defense, and that's one of the things. So like now, I mean, eye rolling was the only thing we yeah, could do. We're that like, was right. whatever. I want to finish my point because you do that. That is a part of moral panic. Moral panics can really only be successful if the panic is against someone or something that's essentially defenseless or sure. or really unprovable. You right. can you can say, oh, there's this. It seems to be you know yeah. it's, it's a, not going to stand up maybe to a correlation, but it, is hard there, analysis is or it, empirical no. data, right. right? And then as soon as there gets to be some kind of respectable governing body right, that right. that is around it then it is less it is less susceptible the dungeons and dragons board of governors <laughs> well no but <laughs> ddbog but, but you know there are ddbog now there are, now there are now there are dungeons and dragons groups that allow that you know that that moral panic about dungeons and dragons i don't think could happen today because of yeah, because probably, of that yeah. and also now the kids who were playing it then are now adults and right. adults can fight back yeah they can and I do every day <laughs> with my sword. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, then I am going to close uh, for uh, melee. All right, so you slash the spider across a foreleg. Some kind of uh, unpleasant ichor drips out. Iker. There we go. Classic. Always have ichor. Ichor, they do. And you get your second attack. Okay. Now, this one, I think you have to roll at minus three because yep. it's your offhand. Yep. Go ahead. Let's say six minus three is three. Okay, so your second attack, uh, let's just put it kindly, whiffs. Hmm. All right, so you miss You miss on your second attack. Shofra. Well, the only thing I really have is that acid splash. No, you have much more well, than you've that. Got more than that, you could... You could you're gonna hold it still for me. That's a possibility. Oh, is that? It can't can counter. I still do that? Oh, okay. Well, then what do you have? I have that witch's bolt. I think that makes him hold still. All right, pull well, up witch's bolt. Let me let me verify that because yeah. I know that there's we, one. We that could I also have. try the wand of web, but I have a feeling that a spider might not have a. I mean, yeah, yeah you should do that. hundred percent. 
I'm not going to do that. No, he's, he's <laughs> nodding too hard for me to do that. I'm not doing that. You would make him supercharged or okay. something. So wow. my witch's bolt, I thought I thought it had like the power for me to hold on to it. Well, see it what witch's says, bolt says. A beam of crackling blue energy lances out towards a creature within range, forming a sustained arc of lightning between you and the target. So it's cool looking. That's good. Um, make a ranged spell attack against that creature. And then that target takes 1d12 lightning damage. And then on each of the turns for duration, I can use that action to deal 1d12 lightning damage to the target automatically. Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah, that's a that thing. That sounds I'll pretty do. good. That's okay, so what you're going to witch do. bolt. So I need you to roll d20. 15. Plus your intelligence bonus, which is 4. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what color was it? Blue. Like the lightning blue. Yeah. So blue lightning. A lovely cerulean. Yeah. <laughs> Arcs from her her hands and strikes the spider, uh, which seizes up, and then you have to roll your damage. What was and it again? 1d12? 12. 12. Yeah, yeah. Roll it. <laughs> Five. All right, well, that's not bad. All right, so you do some additional damage to the spider. It's not at all happy. Uh, and it it aims an attack at uh, Silric. And Silric, what is your armor class again? Uh, it is 27. All right, so the spider lashes out at you and just misses. I mean, like, you know, if you'd had an extra coat of paint on that armor, <laughs> it would have hit you. So he just misses... Now it is uh, Silric's turn again. Ah, 18. Oh, well, yes. That's rather uh, nice. All right, so again, Dave's steady hand on the blade finds the flesh of the spider. You hear a, a kind of a sickening, squishy, slashing sound. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and uh, Christine, you roll against uh, throwing up. No. No, uh, what? Just a joke. Yeah, the, when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, they're going to joke about rolling almost nonstop. That and right. their stats. Okay? Right. So, God, you have like a, such a five intelligence. All right. So, oh, uh, God, this is getting cooler by the minute. I bet it is. Oh, my God. All right. Silric, please roll your D6 for damage. Okay. Uh, again, it's a rather anemic two, but then yes. we got the plus two and plus one to bring it up to five. Five. Though so far, just in case you guys are curious, you've done eighteen points of damage to this poor spider who is just hanging out in his house, and you guys crash the party. Shofra, uh, what do you do? I can continue to to um, apply keep hitting him. Yeah. And do you have to roll again, or you just get to roll the damage? No, one d twelve. Ten. Oh, a ten. Nice. Is it? Uh, let's see. All right. So the spider is pretty seriously fucked by that spell. So its entire bloated body shivers. Oh, my God. As the lightning arcs around it. And it collapses with the sound of, like, a moist balloon. Oh, God. Oh, gross. Is it, the limb, is it hissing at all from no, me? Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, my God, it's the Hindenburg. Okay. No. Oh, man. Yeah, and the the legs withdraw into the body, oh, nice. and it Ew. is still. 
Ew. I do not have a newspaper to pick it up with, so I'm no, just going to leave it you there. Don't, nobody's printed a newspaper I, that large I believe yet. in catch and release of spiders. I remember that being something that people were afraid of, parents were afraid of. But you you guys didn't have that experience. You're, well, no. Mark, your mother played My mom you. was like, she's like, how come we don't play Dungeons & Dragons more? <laughs> <laughs> and and Dave, you, what was your experience? Did you I, ever I feel was, like... I mean, I was kind of aware that that was in the air, but mm-hmm. I never personally had any... any uh, I was never hassled about it. Yeah. It's still not super socially acceptable... Right, you're still going to be labeled a nerd, but the nerds cleverly made nerdism mm-hmm. not really cool, but like coolish, mm-hmm. right? Well, like we, it's more acceptable to be called a nerd. And and Dave, I think you would ascribe that to we run like the world the, now. Yeah, exactly. Dot com <laughs> boom. Yeah, like nerds are now you know billionaires, and you know it was kind of pioneered by. Not so much Steve Jobs, but like Bill Gates, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, What's his name? Phil Allen? Is it Phil? Bill Allen? Yeah. Did I make that up? Okay. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, you know, like I said, it's not super acceptable culturally, socially, but more acceptable. Uh Uh-huh. Which we'll take. Yeah. Now now that we run the world, you're going to have to make space for us. That's just how it is. Otherwise, your internet's going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, Dan. Well, Mark, I think we're going to stop it here. I think we've had enough. I think we've had enough. And I think that we have enough material to do maybe a part two of this. And it's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. But we'll bring we'll wrap everything up next week in our in the second part of this episode. We really appreciate Dave joining us for this episode. Yeah. Multiple times. Multiple times. You guys, we've recorded this thing like 200 million times. It's, three. It's but- Three yes. million times? No, just three. Three hundred million times. Just three. <laughs> it feels like three hundred. It feels like three hundred million times. It does. Mm, you guys, would you please do us a favor and share? If you are a, a Facebook friend with our group, would you please share our group with a friend that you think might like our podcast? We would appreciate if you would help us out that way. If you can think of a person right now, friend of yours right now that you think would like our podcast, they're probably the best person you know. Absolutely. I agree that's, with that 100%. That's the kind of people that like our podcast. Only the best people. You could just, yeah. So we are looking, we are, we're trying to grow our audience and we would appreciate some help from you guys. And so if you would just share our, our Facebook page, that would be awesome. And hopefully we'll get some, some more people joining in the conversations. Because we are this close to 10 million listeners. We and I just <laughs> want to push us over the edge. It's not like anywhere near that, you guys, but we, we are trying to so grow. Close. We are trying to grow. So, Anyway, um, thank you very much for listening. I'm going to say good night. Good night. Good night.
Can I just say how very, very disturbing it is that you've hung your ears over the top of your laptop? <laughs> <laughs> just like hanging can, there? Can you see my ears? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> like, are you like, are you taking trophies from your victims or it's something? Like, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, there uh, they she's are. She's been out hunting elves. Not I, have, I have, I have.